And we took our young people to Alton Towers um, a couple of weeks ago on a weekend away. Um, I love these roller coasters. I, I realized actually when I was there how much I love these roller coasters. But I, I noticed as well that as I got on the Smiler, I did two things. The first thing I did was I prayed. <laughs> and the second thing I did was this. I tested the security. And I mean properly tested the security. So if you've not been on one of these things before, what happens is the, the kind of seat restraints come down over your shoulders and they kind of lock into place. And what I did was I gave these things a proper push before the roller coaster started. And the reason I did that was because I had watched this thing. I'd watched it for about 45 minutes in the queue. I'd seen how fast it went. I'd heard the screams of the people behind me. And I wanted to know that if we were going to go upside down, which we were, these seat restraints were going to keep me in place. So I tested the security. And really, that's what we're going to do here this morning. We're going to test our security. We're going to think about actually whether our security is in the right place and is strong enough to be able to cope with all the stuff that life is going to throw at us. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn please to Psalm 61? It should come up on the screen behind me as well. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 5. So it's Psalm 61. It says this. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. If you can keep that, that passage open, we're going to stick quite closely to that text this morning. And this psalm was written by David. And commentators tend to agree that it was likely written at a time when David was king, but he was a king on the run. And so David's own son, Absalom, has set himself up as king. And what he's done is he's turned many of David's loyal friends and followers against David. And now David is being kind of hunted down by his own son, who is trying to kill him. You can read the story for yourself in 2 Samuel 13 to 15. And it is a, is a family backstory that involves lust and rape and murder. This is a, a serious family crisis, a serious situation that David is in. So when we read that psalm this morning, it's not just some kind of attention-seeking cry for help. This is the real deal for David. This is a proper crisis situation. And so a week after Easter, a week after we've talked about the kind of triumph and the victory of the resurrection, we're honing in this morning on a family in crisis and a man in a mess. And you don't need too many years of experience, I think, to know that actually life has its ups and its downs. It has its really good points, and it has its really low points as well. And this was true even for Jesus. Tim Keller notices that actually when you read Matthew's gospel, you see that Jesus' baptism directly precedes his temptation in the desert. So you have this, this moment of, of great power and blessing and love and sonship for Jesus this moment of security, and then it is followed immediately by evil and temptation and wilderness and hunger. And Tim Keller writes this, No one can seem to secure a life of sustained success, joy, and blessing 
as hard as we try, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well things are going, something comes in to ruin it. Even the most talented, diligent, and savvy people can't escape the undulations of life. And so even as followers of Jesus, we don't get to opt out of the the bad stuff of life. We know that, don't we? You all know that. We've all lived long enough to know that actually we, we go through the undulations of life. We can't opt out. But what we can do is make sure that our security is in the right place. So that's what we're doing this morning. The way I'm going to do that is I'm going to ask you three questions. And you can think of these, if you like, as three kind of three pushes on those seat restraints that are around you. The first question I'm going to ask you is this. How real are you with God? How real are you with God? The second question, what do you know about the character of God? And the third question is this. Who is Jesus to you? So first question, how real are you with God? If you look at the text, verse 2, David says this. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Now, I was given a lesson in prayer about 10 years ago by a junior doctor in Kenya. And I was out in Kenya with um, Alice, my wife. Alice was doing her medical training, her medical elective out in Kenya. And we were at a missionary hospital, Tenwet Missionary Hospital. And it was an inspiring place, amazing place, full of just, just incredible people that ran this place. But the thing about Tenwet was that it, it lacked resources, it lacked equipment. And what that meant was that when people came in with serious illnesses um, and diseases, sicknesses, actually it didn't look good for them. Actually many children and babies died quite regularly in this hospital. And this junior doctor had been with a baby and her family that day. And the baby had died that day. And we were at a prayer meeting that night. We gathered together with um, many of the other doctors and their, and their partners and we had this prayer meeting. And what happened was we worshipped and there were some times of prayer. And then this junior doctor got up And she prayed in a way that I'd never really heard anyone pray before. She started saying things like this. Lord, I don't understand why you've let this happen. I've I've asked you to heal this baby, and and this baby was allowed to die. I, I cannot understand why you let this baby die. And for me, this was a bit of a shock, because my prayers to this point have been kind of nice prayers. I thought we had to pray in a nice sort of way to God. I thought we had to pray sort of church prayers that, that sound right and that sound like the prayers that God would want to hear. But for me, this, this young woman's prayer was filled with more faith than I've ever seen in any prayer. And the reason I say that is because it showed that she believed actually that her God could have stepped in at any point and could have healed this baby, but he didn't. And it showed that her relationship with her God was real enough that she could cry out and bring her real emotion and the real stuff that was going on in her heart, she could bring that to her God. And this morning, the first thing I want to say to you is this. God wants the real us. He wants our our anguish, our discouragements, all the stuff that is going on in our hearts. He wants us to bring that stuff to him. See, David, this mighty king, this warrior, he takes his most honest, his most genuine, his most raw emotion, and he brings that to God in prayer. He says, I call as my heart grows faint. I call as my heart grows faint. The problem is, if we don't bring this stuff to God, if we don't bring this real, raw emotion to God, it will come out somewhere, won't it? We know that. Actually, for me, what happens is, if I don't bring this stuff to God, it comes out in the way I parent. It comes out in the way I talk to Alice, my wife. It comes out in the way I talk to my friends. Perhaps for you, it might come out on social media. Often, you see on things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, you see um, 
kind of feeds that are really kind of raw in emotion. And it shows that people are going through really tough times. But is that stuff coming out in those people's prayers? See, the Psalms challenge me. They really challenge me. This Psalm challenges me that actually we can bring our, our proper raw emotion, the real us, to God. And this is how Jesus prayed. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. On the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hebrews 5, 7 says that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This is how Jesus prayed. And this is our model for prayer, that we bring the real us to God in prayer. See, I notice that sometimes I pray too nicely, and sometimes as well I pray too late. So, so when I'm going through a tough situation, I can wait until things have got better to bring that stuff to God. But if you look at this psalm, you see actually it's not. David doesn't say, I get back from the ends of the earth and then I thank you for what you've done. He says, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. So from that place of distance and that place of desperation and weakness, he comes to God. He's overwhelmed, but he's not too overwhelmed to pray. And you know, there's no situation that we're facing this morning that is outside of the boundaries of prayer. There is nothing that we can have done, no, no situation that we can be in that can, we can feel can be so far removed from God that we can't bring it to him in prayer. He knows. He knows all about it. And he is the only one who can handle this stuff. We're meant to bring this stuff to God. And here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 5. David says this, For you have heard my vows, O God. See, David knows here that he is speaking to a God who listens to his prayers, who hears his prayers. And isn't that incredible that God has all these children who are kind of crying out to him at the same time? We don't know how many children are crying out to him at the same time, and yet he hears every single prayer that they utter. In our house, we have two children, and we have to have a strict rule that only one child can speak at a time, otherwise daddy's head explodes. That is all that daddy can cope with. But our, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, he hears every single prayer that we utter. How gracious he is. How patient he is with us. So that's the first question this morning. How real are you with God? The second question I want to ask is this. What do you know of God's character? You notice what David does next. Verse 3, he says this. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Now, we know a bit about David. We know that he wasn't a perfect human being. We know there's, there's several things that he did in his life that were wrong. We know that he committed adultery. We know that actually he had a man killed. There were, there were several things that he did that were wrong in his life. And actually, we might think that a lot of the mess that he was in was of his own making. And perhaps that's true. But one thing we do know about David was this. He knew about the character of God. He knew what his God was like. He knew that his God was faithful. He knew that his God was good to his people. He knew that his God was loving. This is the young man who fought a, a giant, who fought Goliath. This is what he says, actually, when he's, when he's facing this Philistine, this Philistine who has terror, terrified and terrorized God's people. This is from 1 Samuel, verse 17. He says this, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, that is confidence and faith in the character and goodness of God. He knew the Lord was mighty, and he knew that the Lord was on his side. 
He knew the Lord was on his side. Like Neil said this morning, that word that he brought, our God is for us. And we have to know actually that he is for us. And we can know that. David knew that. And what it meant was that actually when David came to a crisis point, like we see here in Psalm 61, he could look back on the evidence of God's faithfulness in his life. He could look back on those times when God had moved, and that would remind him, actually, of who his God was. And that's why this psalm, Psalm 61, quickly changes from a cry for help to a reminder of who God is. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I used to work in advertising. I used to work in London in advertising. And I used to sit with an art director in in a creative office. And some days I found that actually... My job, I found really easy. I found that the ideas would flow really easily. We'd come up with lots of creative ideas for things. And then the, like the day after, I would find that I would have like a, a complete mental block. And I would feel like I'm completely the wrong person for this job. I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't think of anything. And I was given some advice in that job. Someone said to me this, keep your really good ideas. Keep those award-winning ideas, the things that have gone really well, and stick them to the wall of your office. So that on those days when things are not going so well, You can look up there, and it can be a reminder to you of your track record, a reminder to you that you can do this. And in a sense, I think that's what David is doing here, where he says, for you would be my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Except, obviously, it's not David's track record he's looking back on. It is God's track record in his life. So even in this moment of crisis, David can say, you're the God who helped me defeat that giant. You're the God who helped me through those battles I faced. You're the giant, sorry, you're the God who protected me in those moments. I wonder what moments you can look back on of the evidence of God at work in your life. I wonder in what ways God has shown his faithfulness to you. In what ways has he moved in your family life? In what ways has he moved in your career? In what ways has he spoken directly into a situation that you've faced? What giants has he overcome in your life? And just as you you can look back on your own personal stories of what God has done, you can look back on the things that God has done in this church. God has been so good. Our Lord has been so faithful and so good to us in this church. Even last week, on Easter Sunday, we had a group of people standing up here and giving testimony to how God has stepped into their life and completely changed the situation around. And you can own these, these things as yours as well. See, and each year we take a group of young people off to New Day and we see healings. We've seen eyesight conditions completely healed in a moment. We've seen feet grow. We've seen um, just, just incredible healings at New Day. And you've prayed for this as a church. And so you can own these things as your own. And when difficult times come, you can look back on this stuff as a reminder of what God has done for you. These are battle victories. These are battle victories. And you can own these things. In Joshua 4, we read the story of how God led his people into Canaan. And what God did was he demonstrated his power in an incredible way. He parted the Jordan River to let his people through, just as he parted the Red Sea um, early to let his people out of Egypt. And this is what the people did. Notice this. This is really important. Joshua called together. This is Joshua 4, verses 4 to 7. Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. 
In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so for generations, generation after generation, people would know about the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. And in times of need, these stones would remind people what God had done in those times. And I want to ask, do we do that? Do we, are, we, are we remembering this stuff for ourselves, the way that God's moved in our life? And are we passing this stuff down to our children, to the next generation? Are we speaking to them about how God has been to us? We need to do this because this serves as a memorial to us in those difficult times. And our past experience of Jesus' work in our life is our grounds for hope for the future. Our past experience of Jesus' work in our life is our grounds for hope for the future. In those difficult times, we can hold on to what God has done. So these things that God has done in your life, stick them up there, like I did on the wall of my advertising um, office. Do that. Stick them on the wall of your life. Stick them up there, literally. Have a memorial in some way if you need to, to remind you of what God has done. Do you know the character of God? Have you experienced the character of God in your life? The final question I want to ask you is this, and thank you so much for staying with me. The final question is this. Think of this as the last kind of push on those seat restraints, if you like. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? So some people are amazing kind of problem solvers. You know the sort of people I mean, people that are really practical, people that can kind of think their way out of any situation. I admire these people. These are people that, don't, that know exactly what to do when a car won't start, or people that know what to do when there's a, a leak under the sink. They don't just panic. They know exactly what to do. Um, I'm not one of these people. Um, <laughs> I once spent an hour and a half changing a light bulb in my Peugeot 206. My greatest achievement in DIY today is still um, screwing a spice rack kind of haphazardly to the wall of my kitchen. That is my greatest moment in DIY. But the problem is, I think we can take the DIY approach too far sometimes. We can think, I'll think my way out of this problem that we're in. I'll, I'll use my own wisdom, my own strength to get out of this problem that I'm facing. David says this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is verse 3. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And to me, this sounds like someone who's kind of engulfed in water, someone who is perhaps shipwrecked or flooded. And they, when someone is flooded, what happens? They look for higher ground. When someone's in a serious flood situation, what they'll do is they'll look for a higher ground to get onto. And I love this line because I feel like I can relate to this. And young people, I've told you this story before, so bear with me. But a few years back, I was in my kitchen at about three in the morning. Um, and I was drinking a cup of coffee, um, and I couldn't sleep. And I was, I was crying into this cup of coffee. It wasn't a happy kind of sight. I was kind of sobbing into this cup of coffee. And what had happened was just my workload, um, everything that I was kind of doing at that time, uh, the pressures of family life, everything had kind of got too much for me. And I was, um, I was crying out to God. And this was a moment where I prayed some of my real prayers, not just the nice churched up prayers, but I was praying to God this. I was saying, Lord, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And in that moment, I felt like God really spoke to me. And he said this, all I ask of you is that you love me. The rest of it is just pressure that you're putting on yourself. 
All I ask of you is that you love me. And in that moment, everything changed for me. And in some sense, there's nothing changed because the situation, my workload, everything else was still exactly the same as it had been before. At the same time, everything changed because in that moment, I saw Jesus. I saw him. I heard him speaking to me. If you like, I was taken to that higher ground where I could see down on the situation and suddenly my perspective of it was completely different. So what I'm asking this morning is this. This is the final question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he some distant teacher who kind of guides you through life? Is he some role model that you're trying to follow? Or do you see Jesus as your saviour? Do you see him as your rescuer? Does he, is he the, the God who came down into your situation and pulled you out of the situation you were facing? Tim Keller, the author and theologian, writes this. He writes, imagine if you see a drowning woman. It doesn't help her at all if you throw her a manual on how to swim. You don't throw her some teaching, you throw her a rope. And Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer, because that is what we most need. Nothing in who we are or what we do saves us. David says this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Who is this rock? What is this rock? This rock is Jesus. Where is our security when times are tough? It has to be in Jesus. Where does our assurance come from? It has to come from Jesus. It has to be from him. So here's a man who went through trials so intense, so difficult, that we'll never be able to understand them. On the cross, he suffered distance from his father that was so intense that we cannot comprehend it. And he did it for us. And when we look to Jesus as our rescuer, as our savior, day after day after day, we can come through any battle at his side. Any crisis that we're facing, we can come through with him. See, the truth that we spoke about last week, last Sunday, the truth of the, the cross, the resurrection, this stands over our whole life. This is not just a once a year thing, this stands over our whole life, day after day after day, that Jesus went to the cross for us, that he had victory over darkness and death for us. It's an everyday thing. And so the final thing I want to say to you is this. Just Can I ask the band to come up actually just to say this? Jesus says this, sorry, David says this, from the ends of the earth, I call to you. You know, because of the separation that Jesus experienced from his father on the cross, actually, we're never that distant from God when our hope is in Jesus. Actually, it's, it's never that we're from the ends of the earth from him. If you look at what David says in verse 5, I long to dwell in your tent forever. Take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Actually, when our hope is in Jesus, that is where we are. We're in his tent forever. We're in the refuge of his wings. That's how close we are to him. And, and one day we'll get to see the full extent of that in eternity. But actually, we can know it now. In the ups of life, in the downs of life as well, we can know that God is good, actually, and that he is with us. Amen? Amen.